when you're ready. Let's start this game. Welcome to Unstacked and Less Unwind with bestselling author Eliza Knight. Let's find out about her writing process and newest historical fiction novel starring Adele Astaire. Hey, this is Sarah from the Bay County Public Library. Hey, this is Stephen from the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library. And this is Eliza, the author of Starring Adele Astaire. So I have been wanting to learn more about Adele Astaire for a little while now. And so when I saw an Instagram post from another author with your book on it. I was super excited because I was like, yes. yes, I get to learn more about Adele. And starring Adele Astaire was like perfect just to learn how delightful she was as a human. And because otherwise I had only known like a little bit about Fred Astaire and that was it. And can you introduce our listeners to your fabulous new novel? Sure, absolutely. So I too had not heard anything about Adele Astaire I knew who Fred Astaire was, and I was surprised to learn he had a sister. I figured that out while I was doing research on another book, which I can talk about in a little bit. But starring Adele Astaire is a fun and exciting historical fiction novel about Adele and her journey to stardom, as well as sort of her coming into womanhood and deciding what is important for her. You know, she's this megastar, but she also is searching for love and family. So we get to explore those themes. And then alongside her, we have a fun character named Violet Wood, who is one of Adele's friends. And they become friends in London on stage when Violet is trying herself to become a dancer and Adele befriends her and sort of becomes a mentor for her journey. It's just a fun story about their friendship, but mostly about the exciting life of Adele Astaire that's sort of lost to history. And I understand the book comes out on June 6th. Yes. Do you celebrate book birthdays? I do. (laughs) So what do we do for book birthdays? Well, um, I'm excited the day before I'm actually having a launch event. So that's exciting. And then the day of I'm going to go get my nails done and probably have a nice lunch with some friends. And then later that night, I'm actually hosting the opening event for Historical Novel Society Conference, their virtual program. So I'm going to make everyone do a little cheers for me. And then we're going to talk about books and publishing. <laughs> well, that sounds delightful. Yeah. It's an epic launch of your, your book. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited about it. And how do you decide from all the cool stories and history on what would be something that would make a great historical fiction novel? Oh, that's a fun question. So a lot of the times I'm sort of just doing research for fun because I'm a history nerd and things excite me and I just go down like a rabbit hole of whatever I'm doing. Usually I'll come across something that is either interesting, either an event in history or a person And I try to connect the two to each other or something like that. For this book in particular, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I was doing research for my novel, The Mayfair Bookshop on Nancy Mitford. And I was reading all of Nancy's letters to her sisters and friends. And she had this really funny letter where she's like said, I had lunch today with Deli. She's so funny. She said this about the bright young things about how basic they're into all this free love. And she said something a little bit vulgar, which I won't repeat here. You can read it in the letter. And I was like, well, who is this Deli person? I've never heard of her. I knew who all of Nancy's friends were. So I scrolled down to little asterisk and it said Adele Astaire, sister of Fred Astaire, which at that point I was thinking he has a sister. What? And so also why is his sister like in London having lunch with an aristocrat? That's so 
interesting. So I jumped like immediately onto Google and researched all sorts of stuff about Adele Sarah and found out how fascinating she was. And I wrote to my agent and I said, I think I have to write this story. I didn't know who she was. Most people don't know who she is. And she lived a very fascinating life. You know, she was a megastar dancer, in fact, considered more famous than her brother when they were partners. And when you think of Fred Astaire, you think of Ginger Rogers. No one really thinks about the fact that he had this like 30 year long career with his sister before he went to Hollywood. So I was just super fascinated by that. And then to find out she married the son of a Duke, I was like, wait, what? It was just really, I couldn't get over it. And so my agent agreed and emailed my editor and my editor was like, absolutely. I love this idea. So that's how this story came to be. And it's pretty similar to a lot of the books that I write. I I get an idea about a person or something like that, and I just can't let it go. And I have to find a way to tell their story. Especially the hidden histories, because otherwise it takes a lot of digging for someone to, yeah. And this is a fun entryway into learning more about her. Absolutely. And also just to add another little point to that is that there's no video of her and Fred dancing like none. The only thing you'll find is they did record some songs from their performances. So you can listen to those and those are very charming. And then there's one small clip from a rehearsal that someone had videotaped where they sort of do a kick line onto stage, but you, the video's from the side. So you don't even see Adele. She's on the end of the line. And I was thinking like, well, if someone was video recording the rehearsal, why did no one video record the performances? I'm hoping at some point someone finds something in their attic that shares that information with us because I really, really wish that I could have seen her dance. Be it said a small archive somewhere. No right? one knows. <laughs> <laughs> Hidden in someone's trunk. <laughs> yes. So obviously this is historical fiction. So you have the, the history part and you have the yeah. fiction part. How do you balance the historical elements with story? So that's a great question. And mostly it's about figuring out what the character or the person that you're working with fiction or real life, what their story arc is going to be and what you want to sort of accomplish. I do that a lot with themes. So with this book, a lot of the themes was about women working, women empowerment, friendships, sibling relationships, mother-daughter relationships, just sort of like where you fit in society, things like that. So taking those themes and then sort of massaging them and pinning out the points of Adele's life that sort of matched with those, I was able to form the story arc there. And then I used Violet, who is a fictional character, to fill in some of the blanks, but also to give more of a, a little bit more of an emotional appeal to different things, especially things that you might not have gotten to see from Adele's story. Because when we start with Adele, she's already a star and she's on the rise. And so we didn't get to see a lot of the struggles, which I've tried to show through Violet's story. And then additionally, because Adele had her brother there sort of like as a protector and friend, she didn't suffer a lot of the same things that other dancers might have who didn't have a protector right there with them, sort of being taken advantage of by people that were in positions of authority in the theater world. So those were like basically you know, I try to find those themes and then make a story out of it. And also you want it to be like an exciting, emotional and satisfying read for the reader too. So adding in all of those things, I think makes it fun, I guess. And now that you kind of broke it down, I didn't even think about even like the mother characters for each Mm -hmm. Violet and Adele are so different on how they approach that. Yeah. And they're like drastically different. Right. And I guess I could have had like a middle of the road, but I thought it would be more interesting to explore like a mother who's like 
super supportive versus one who's absolutely not. Um, Mm -hmm. And how that changes your perspective when you're trying to go after your dreams, especially a dream that isn't necessarily supported by someone. So I thought that was really interesting. And what was it like studying the Adele Astaire collection, including reading her diary at the Howard Gottlieb Archival Research Center at Boston University? That's like an amazing firsthand account. Oh, it was awesome. (laughs) And I have one more question to add to that one is, are you able to travel often when preparing for a book for, you know, research purposes, of course? Yeah. So these are great questions. I had been trying to get into that archival center. It was like, I want to say almost a year because when I got the book contract, it was during COVID. So they were closed to outside people that wanted to do research. I think they were open for students and faculty and stuff like that. But every like week or month, I was emailing like, are you guys open yet? Are you guys open yet? And then they finally emailed me and they're like, if you can come next week, we can give you two full days with the collection. And I was like, I will book my flight immediately. (laughs) So I went and I spent two full days. I was so absorbed in it. I didn't, I sat stiffly like this, just reading, reading, reading and taking notes. It was amazing. Reading letters and diaries from people, even if they're in print is awesome, but to actually hold something that they touched and like to like feel the pen, the way it, you know, dug into the paper. She had like little doodles that she made of like her dogs, just really cute personal stuff that I felt like even though I couldn't talk to her because she's no longer with us, I felt like I was there chatting with her and getting to know her. And I think that it was so important for this book because it is an emotional story to feel what she was feeling in those moments. So I wanted to add a lot of authenticity to the book. And I think I was able to do that simply because I was able to read her diary. Now, one thing I did notice, and this won't be too much of a spoiler, is there was a section in her diary that was blank for like a year and a half. And in the book, you'll figure out what that point was. It was a hugely traumatic moment for her. And she just stopped writing in her diary. And she had been, you know, prolific journaler. So it was like daily or at least weekly. And then to not write in it for a year and a half was even more telling than if she had written down all those feelings. So that was really amazing. And I don't think I would have been able to have that co- like come across if I hadn't witnessed it. And then the other really interesting thing I found is a lot of the pictures that I had of her in books and that I'd seen online, she had like this short little bob looking hair. But what I found out when I got there was there was pictures and then there was something in an article about it that was an old article that I wouldn't have found online is that she actually had really long hair And her mom styled her hair to look like a bob, which was the style, but she didn't want to actually cut her hair. So that was like a really cool, fun fact that I discovered. And I was glad I did because I had written that she had short hair and that would have been totally wrong. (laughs) I thought it was short as well and seeing the pictures. Yeah. Like just rolled up and pinned to look like that. It's so fascinating. Super cute. Yeah. And I do get to travel a lot, which is actually really fun. The only problem is during COVID, I wasn't able to travel as much as I would have liked. For my book, The Mayfair Bookshop, when I originally got that contract, I was going to go to Haywood Hill Bookshop in Mayfair, London, and they rent a flat above it. I was going to rent that out for a couple of weeks and start the book. And literally like a month later, COVID happened. So that ruined that. But I did get to go to London last summer. So I did go to that bookshop. And then I also visited the theater where Adele and Fred did their first show. So that was really cool. 
Oh, that's fun. Yeah. What is the uh, editing and writing process like for you? Oh my goodness. It is long and arduous. I usually start with uh, the pitch idea and I'll write an entire synopsis, which is usually mine are really long. And I know that is annoying to some people, but they're like 12 to 15 pages long. And I'll even include a little bit of dialogue because as I'm planning out the book, lines will come to me that I think of that would be fun to say. Then I start writing and the writing of the book probably takes like about six months for a terrible first draft. And then a couple of months to revise that and try to make the sentences uh, readable and fill in some of those emotions and details. And then I have two writing critique partners. So I send them the book and I'm like, tear this up, please. And they do that for me. And about a year or so is like the entire process, I think. And then I send it to my editor and then she writes a really nice long editorial letter telling me what to do. For example, in this book, I had to cut an entire character out and I have a reader guide that I put a little deleted scene in that has him in it, but his name was Kit and he was so cute and he was Violet's best friend. They had grown up together. His mom is the one who got her the job as the um, waitress at the theater. So they just had like a really fun relationship, but he was taking up a lot of the page And my editor was like, you know, we really want to focus on Adele and Violet. And he's kind of jumbling things up. And I was like, well, that's sad. But at the same time, it was true. The other thing that I changed with this book was that Violet actually had six siblings originally. And one of her brothers like stood up for her when she had the huge falling out with her mother, things like that. But again, they were taking up too much space. (laughs) So they had to go. I mean, I think in the end, the book is better for having made those big changes. And also originally, uh, Violet's roommate, Katie, wasn't part of the story either. So she was someone that I added. But the editing process, it takes probably like six weeks for that first editorial. And then we go through copy edits and then there's first pass pages and then there's a proofreader. So it takes like a lot of editing to go through, but each pass makes the book better. Plus, like I am notoriously terrible with commas. I mean, it is really bad. I don't even know what I'm doing. Uh, One of my other editors, she laughs at me and she says, I don't understand. Sometimes you're an Oxford comma girl and sometimes you're not. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I just, my fingers just put the commas in wherever they want them to be. This is why I'm not an editor. (laughs) I have no idea what the use is. So you tend to overwrite and then have to pare it down kind of is is more of your style? Yeah, both this book and my last book, I had to delete 50 pages from. And that's a lot of pages to figure out what to delete. I just finished editing the book that comes out next year. And I didn't have to delete anything because I decided to keep it simple. And I wrote it shorter than I normally do. And I was like, she's still going to tell me to delete something. I know it. And she said that I didn't have to delete anything. So I was actually really happy about that. (laughs) And you don't spell everything out, which I appreciate. For example, Bertie, who most will know as King George, he stutters in real life. And in your dialogue, you write it into the dialogue, but you do not say anything about it. Uh, you don't explain the stutter. How do you approach the show don't tell in your writing process? I think that's been drummed into my head ever since I started writing. 
And so that's actually part of what I do in my second draft is really going through and trying to pull out places where I do tell, because I mean, we all do that sometimes. And then one of my critique partners is really great at that. And she will point it out and highlight it and all of that stuff. So I think with that, it's just sort of a skill I've had to hone over the years because I think a first instinct is just to tell things, you know, it's, it's not always easy to figure out how to show. So practice, I guess. <laughs> we mentioned before that you're not just an author, you're a podcaster. Yes. Um, you've got a, I think you have two podcasts now. I do. Um, one of which is a crime one, Crime Feast. Yeah. So what brought you to gravitate toward writing historical fiction and romance over true crime? True crime is like a huge passion of mine. In fact, I'm sort of known while I'm at a conference after a really long day of talking to people to go back to my room and just put on some sort of crime show. I love unsolved mysteries, things like that, and just zone out with like a glass of wine. And my friends who are at the conference with me will usually join me on that. And two of them are on the podcast with me. Just sort of a fun thing to do. Um, My kids are really into it as well. So it's like a family fun thing. I love to research crimes and I love to read thrillers and I down the road would really love to write a thriller. When I first started writing for publication in 2006, my first story actually was a thriller and I sent it into a contest and they just tore me apart. So I was like, oh man, well, that's no fun. And at the same time, I had also been sort of dabbling in a historical romance, which people seemed receptive to. So that's how that started. And in 2011, I wrote my first historical fiction novel, which was published in 2014. I think that I just was, I didn't have a thick skin back then. Like you learn as a writer over time to get a really thick skin. I mean, you get reviewers, you have readers that will say horrible things to you and you just they're like, oh, well, everyone likes what they like and don't, doesn't like what they don't like. And, you know, you get used to editors critiquing you and things like that. So I think if I had had a tougher skin back then, I would have taken the feedback and <laughs> maybe written the story. But I was like, oh, no, I'm terrible at this. I'll just won't do it. But I do have aspirations for it. In fact, a pitch that I have waiting uh, right now to find out about, it does have a little bit of thriller mystery in it and a historical angle. So I'm really hopeful that that might be a book we all see at some point. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, I would like that combination. There are two yeah. things I enjoy too, is the, the true crime as well as, as the historical fiction, Same. so merging them together. Yes. Keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> I will. I will. And your writing evokes the time period so well. So for the 1920s, I felt like I was dancing the Charleston and drinking champagne along with Adele, Freddie, and Violet in the wee hours of the morning. So what helps you evoke the atmosphere? It helps I have a really active imagination and I can like close my eyes and sort of visualize what I want. And then I try to write it out and it takes a little bit of time. But I also, you know, will look at videos or movies from the time period and sort of try to like figure out what are the cool details that I like that I think a reader might like too. Yeah, that's pretty much just like, I think the good imagination and then using what's available on YouTube and old movies. I adore older films. I think I, even starting in high school, I loved the 1940s and then the earlier, and I enjoyed learning about the films before the censorship in 1936, like all of those, how they were so radical when you look at them now. And (laughs) that was a kind of norm. It's funny looking back at them. I, um, 
just finished another book with my writing partner, Denny S. Bryce, about Marilyn Monroe and Ella Fitzgerald. And so we were rewatching like a lot of like the Marilyn Monroe movies. It is really funny to see like what they were able to do and say. And even recently I was watching like some of the old Bond movies, which are from like, you know, I think the 60s. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> he just totally slapped that girl for no reason. <laughs> I've been rewatching yeah. the Bond as well. I think that was, oh, it was one of like the first or second one. Yes, where it it's was. Like, what? I think it was uh, with (laughs) from Russia with love, I think is what I was like, that is wild. But yeah, when I was in college, I took for fun. We had to have an art class as part of a credit and I didn't want to do like painting or anything like that. So I took a film class and it was all like Hitchcock and like Paul Newman movies. And I loved all of those. (laughs) Do you have a favorite Marilyn film? Um, I think Monkey Business was one of the ones that I thought was really funny but I also really liked uh, um, There's No Business Like Show Business. That was a good one. And I did like um, something, not Something's Gotta Give. I hate that one. Some Like It Hot? Yeah, Some Like It Hot. <laughs> it's funny because my son, my oldest, if it's black and white, he it's it's in the before times where nothing is good. Yes. Yep. And because um, I have, you know, I, I fall down rabbit holes sometimes and we were, I'm cruising through YouTube and it was like a Groucho Mark insults. And I'm like, uh-huh. I, I love Groucho Mark. So, I, you know, I don't care. He's in here. I'm, I'm going through this. And, you know, him not watching it, he doesn't know what he's hearing, but he's, I can just hear him as, as things are going, him laughing. I'm going, wow, the things that they were saying there are more cutting edge than some of those, you know, things yes. that we could get away with now kind of stuff. But Absolutely. We used to watch the Marx Brothers every New Year's Eve, like the old black and whites of the Marx Brothers. And that was fun. That was really fun. That was a good tradition. We should pull that back. <laughs> but now my kids are all older too. Two of them are teenagers and one of them's um, she's 22 and they're just not into the old stuff. I'm like, who wants to watch this Fred Astaire movie with me? I need to look at the scene. And they're like, no, thanks. <laughs> and my youngest, she tries to be supportive. She'll say, oh, well, I'll sit here with my headphones and watch TikTok while you watch it if you want. <laughs> I guess I'll take that. <laughs> For working with historical fiction, how do you best keep the societal attitudes of the time period into your your more contemporary retelling? Because they're staying true to the individual of history and societal norms are like constantly changing. Yeah. Even when we're watching these old films, um, even in the James Bonds, what's appropriate then versus right. now. So how do you kind of balance all of that? Well, um, so far it's been kind of easy because the women that I write about tend to be sort of trailblazers themselves and a little, you know, they're independent, they're, they're doing a lot of things that normal women of the time necessarily weren't doing. So that's been great because I've been able to use that to my advantage to say like, this isn't right. Like I want it to be this way because they actually were, I think ahead of their times. I mean, Adele Astaire was definitely ahead of her time. Obviously, Marilyn Monroe was ahead of her time. I wrote a book that's coming out next year about Queen Elizabeth. She was ahead of her time. That's pretty much been my saving grace there. Even the book Ribbons of Scarlet that I was a part of, my characters, one was a rebel and one was an assassin. Obviously, you know, women weren't assassins in the 1700s, but she really was. So that was another woman ahead of her time. So you pick someone that you can identify with. (laughs) I think so. And that helps like the reader identify Mm -hmm. with it too. 
Yeah, I didn't realize, um, even with the starring Adela Stare, how many kind of high society during World War II were like Nazi sympathizers. So oh even my just, like gosh. looking at that and then her I views. did not either. It was so like shocking to me. And I actually discovered that when I was writing the Mayfair bookshop because Nancy Mitford's sister, one of them was pretty much the lover of Hitler. They say it's a rumor, but like he bought her an apartment. She was with him all the time. And um, his girlfriend slash wife uh, wrote about her in her diary, hating her and jealous of her. So there was definitely something going on. And then her other sister was married to the British Union of Fascist Leader. And her parents were like Nazi sympathizers. And I just, I never knew. I thought like the world was against the Nazis, you know? Yeah. And then you come to find this out and it wasn't that way. And it sort of opens your eyes to like, wow, it's just shocking. I was surprised. Yeah. Well, segue into something less, uh, <laughs> less, less that. Um, we play a game here. You might know it by something else, but we call it Kiss, Mary Ditch. Oh. Um, um, we, I have a couple different categories here that I've hidden behind titles to not let you know what, might, what you might be getting yourself into. Okay. But once you pick your category inside there, there are three things that you will then define whether you like, love, and one to get rid of. Okay. So your categories to choose from are three of a kind, some like it, Scott, raising <laughs> the grades and creep it real. Oh my gosh. Okay. That is so hard to choose, but I'm going to go with creep it real only because I bought all of my daughter's matching shirts at Halloween that said creep it real with like a skeleton on it. So that really struck me right there. <laughs> all right. We're talking Scottish haunts. Okay. Mary King Close, Dunrobin Castle, and Dunsteth Nag, I'm sure I butchered that <laughs> castle. <laughs> all right. So I've been to all of those. Mm. Man, this is such a tough one. I'm going to go. It was keep Mary ditch, right? Yep. Okay. Just want to make sure. Okay. I will ditch. I will ditch uh, the clothes. King's Mary, King Mary's clothes because it was so stinky in there still to this day I could smell stuff and I was like that is gross but it was also super cool like I've been a couple of times and I would totally recommend going again and I'm going to marry Dunrumman Castle because it is absolutely gorgeous and stunning and it has a beautiful view of the water and I'll keep um, Dunstaffnish because it's also very cool what you avoided here, um, <laughs> raising the grades, I would have made you rate tutor shows. Oh, yeah. See, see the pun there of tutors. Yes. <laughs> some like it, Scott, we would have had to choose from some fictional Scotsmen. Okay. That would and, have been fun too. <laughs> and three of a kind, I would have made you rank uh, some uh, Marvel Universe trilogies in I celebration of the one that just came out. Yes. Uh, see, we, we do a little research. Yes. Yes. Um <laughs> You know, I have a giant Thor cardboard cutout in my kitchen. It's been there for three years because for my family threw me a surprise birthday party a few years ago and they, they knew I like was so obsessed with Thor. So they got the cutout and he's still there. <laughs> Thor, Thor was one of the ones we would have had in, would have had in that category. Um, Total Mary there. <laughs> <laughs> so roughly two years ago, my wife and I became Scottish lords and ladies. Me too. <laughs> so uh, as, as newly minted Laird, uh, what should I be most aware of or concerned about? Oh my gosh. Um, I guess people like coming onto your land and stealing your cattle. <laughs> That's the biggest concern. All right. 
cattle. Do you have a square foot plot? <laughs> I have a square foot. I guess technically because we're both there, we have a two, two foot square. square. Yep. <laughs> we have two square too, so we're probably in the same lawn. <laughs> you guys might be neighbors. We, we might. might. <laughs> I am now hooked to listening to your podcast, History Books and Wine. Oh, it's yay. really calming. And I feel like you bring on a lot of authors as well to interview. And then you guys have wonderful historical things to share about your books. How did you kind of get into podcasting with that one with your author friends? So um, several years ago, podcasting kind of became popular. And I've always been a huge podcast listener. I listen to pretty much everything. As long as it's entertaining, I get excited about it. And I was at a conference and um, one of the classes was on starting your own podcast. And I thought, well, I'll go to that. That sounds like a fun thing to do. I'm already like a blogger and, you know, I'm obviously a writer and stuff. So I thought, well, that'll be good for also learning how to speak a little bit better. I always get really nervous about speaking. And part of my job is to talk a lot, (laughs) which I never knew that was part of the whole deal. You know, when I was growing up, I don't think I ever saw an author speak and they definitely weren't on social media. So I thought, well, this could be fun. And then also it's a way to share like my passions. Obviously I love history. I love wine. I live in an area where we have several wineries. So I get to go do that a lot with friends. And then books, obviously, right? Two of my friends started it with me, Lorianne Bailey and Madeline Martin. And we did a, a the first season, the three of us, and we just had a blast. It was just us talking. And then COVID happened. And all of us at that time had kids coming home from school. And suddenly, like my youngest was in fourth grade, and I had to learn fourth grade math. And there was a lot of emotional drama going on with everyone. And same thing with my friends, like uh, one of them would send us pictures of her son's school setup. And she's like, I don't know where he is, but this is his computer. (laughs) He's not at class. (laughs) And so we were like, you know what, let's take a break because we're trying to now be teachers and deal with all of that along with still writing. So we took, it's about a three-year break, I think actually, until we were finally able to get back. And Uh, Lori and I started it up last year for season two. Madeline had some other obligations, so she wasn't able to join us. And we had a great season two, and we thought we'd change it up by inviting some guest authors on because we have a lot of author connections. And plus, you can only come up with so many historical ideas, and the research takes a lot for each episode as well. So we were like, it'll be fun to have other people join us, and then they can share with us information that they, you know, research. Just it'll be great fun. And it really took off this season. So we had a really great time. Our season for next year starts in September and um, we're already almost full. We haven't even asked anyone to join us. We just keep getting publicists emailing us, which has been awesome. Not something we expected. It's just been a really fun journey. And then I get to share like three of my favorite things every week. (laughs) I've been, I thought I would just listen to one, you know, feel it out. And I'm like, okay, now I need the others. And I just, I've been going down the backlog and all of them are amazing. So I highly recommend. And I am a cab drinker as well. So (laughs) any, any favorite? Um, I love the Josh cab. It's so Mm -hmm. good. Um, That's like pretty much my (laughs) go-to. Like when I go to the store, I'm like, I'll get that one. Um, And then there's another one, Juggernaut. Have you tried, I haven't the tried that one yet? It's so good. And then freak show is good. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't tried that one either. Okay. You okay. have to try. I'll add those two. Yes. Freak show is good. Yeah. We, I love had that show. one. Yeah. Especially right. when it's on sale. <laughs> I'm a cheap wine person. So right now I, my favorite is a Stella Rosa black. Oh, yum. So it's, it's, it's pretty good. For That's what it cool. Is. I'll have to try that. 
in Maryland, our Costco doesn't sell wine, at least mine doesn't. And my friend who lives in Virginia, their Costco does sell wine. So if you have a Costco that sells wine, the ones that I love are there and they're like five or more dollars cheaper than at the regular store. So just a thought. <laughs> this is kind of a two-part question. Okay. And um, from what I understand, at one point you you were a journalist, uh, mm-hmm. you have a degree in family studies. Mm-hmm. So how have those two things influenced uh, your writing style and uh, how you develop characters? That's a great question. So I think that the journalism really helped me hone my research skills. That was something that, you know, we did a lot. I went to college for journalism and I was a journalism major for almost two years, at which point I was really struggling with the short factual sentences. I wanted to write more and more detail and I was getting into trouble, not necessarily trouble, but my grades were reflecting that and the note would say, keep it short. You can't do this, especially in an obituary class. I was really having fun writing people's obituaries and my teacher was like, um, stop doing that. <laughs> like They're not supposed to be this long. And I'm like, but aren't they more fun? Don't you think their family would enjoy these more to like have their life be told in a story versus just a short paragraph? And she was like, yes, I do think so. But that's not the assignment. And you won't be able to do that at the newspaper. At the same time, I was also working for the school paper doing the sports beat, which Now I would have enjoyed that because I actually like sports now, but at the time I hated sports. So it was super boring and it was always tennis, which I actually play tennis now. So I'm sad with my old self, but I was like, this is the worst assignment. So I wanted to change to English major because I really wanted to still stay in writing. I thought maybe publishing or magazine writing, something like that. And my parents, of course, said, "Um, no way. We're paying for your school, so you have to get a degree that will help you get a job and support yourself as an adult. They didn't think that writing was something that would do that. And I don't know why I agreed, but I did. And at the time, I was actually taking an elective in family studies because I think I just I had space and that was available. And it was really fun. So I was like, well, maybe I'll just major in that. I love studying different people's relationships, which is a lot of what it is in sociology and psychology. And I've always found that fascinating. And as I went through that, I thought, well, maybe I could be like a therapist or something or a marriage counselor something like that. I didn't end up doing any of that. I worked with autistic children as a behavioral therapist. And then I also worked with adults with mental illness who were trying to get back into the workforce. So preparing them and then going with them to work and meeting with their boss and things like that. And all through that, I was still writing for fun. I actually wrote stories for families as gifts. I wrote my kids like a couple little books. It was just something that was a hobby for me. And I wasn't really enjoying so much working in mental health. It's also a lot of long hours. And so I had little kids and I wasn't, I was drained when I came home and my husband was like, well, why don't you take off some time and really see if you can like make a go at writing? And I thought, well, that's a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? And so I did that in 2006. And then my first book was published in 2008. It really does help kind of build on your character development and having this full yeah. a range of I think the psychology so. of, of um, Adele Astaire. She I think so, has yeah. these ups and downs. And 
I think it's really helped me like also figure out characters because I can dig into like their emotional psyche and things like that just from having that experience. So I don't regret it at all. And the only thing is I probably would know how to use commas if I had gotten that English degree, (laughs) but I might not know how to frame a character as well. So I'll stick with what happened. (laughs) Commas are weird. Yeah. just weird. (laughs) And you can go back and look at that that professor or whatever <laughs> that told you that you couldn't write. Yes, those kind of obi- obituaries. Be like, look at this. This you is can. a four hundred page obituary. <laughs> and if there's a, this made me think of because you said during the podcast there's a if you haven't checked it out there's one called obituary. Oh my and, gosh! And it is all about those kind of scathing, just outlandish obituaries. So okay, I'm definitely going to listen to that. That it's, sounds fun. <laughs> it's Oh, bitch, you wary. Oh my gosh, that's even better. <laughs> and I did get to write an embellished obituary, by the way. My grandfather passed away a couple of years ago. So I wrote like this whole big thing and I contacted people from his past and like interviewed them and like put their quotes in the, in the obituary and everything. So it was like a fun, that was a fun project. That is awesome. Not fun that he passed away. You know what no. I mean? <laughs> and I can see the, even just like having the historical elements that you enjoy tying with people that are mm-hmm. you know, generations above us. I can see that pairing as well, yeah. just the appreciation. Mm-hmm. And you are releasing a title with Denny S. Bryce. Yes. Can you tell us anything more about your new title that you're working on and how is it working collaboratively? Sure, absolutely. So our book is, it just got a title. I'm excited. I can share that. It's called Lady Ella and Norma Jean, and it's a novel of the friendship of Ella Fitzgerald and Marilyn Monroe. And um, we came up with that idea actually in 2019, I think. We used to write together about once a month because she lived in the same area as me. Now she's um, moved down south. So it's a little harder. We used to write once a month and we were just like chatting. We were like, we should do a collaboration on something. And we, at first, we're going to write it about this club in California called the Macambo Club. And so we were doing research on the club just to see like what historical facts that were going on there. And then we found out about Ella Fitzgerald and Marilyn Monroe. And we were like, well, that's interesting. We didn't know they were friends. So we did a bunch of research and found out actually they were really good friends and there's not a lot written about it, I think, because, well, first they kept it private, but then also with race and things back then, it was something that their publicists didn't want to acknowledge. And that's unfortunate. So now we get to write this whole book about it, right? Um, and we're very excited to share that story. And it is going to release in February. We actually just finished our edits and our editor um, accepted our edits. So she thought the book was great. I think it turned out really, really well. It's a really emotional story, but also highlights some hope and has some fun parts in it. Obviously, there's ultimately the end that we all know happened, but um, the story itself is really a good one, I think. So I think it comes out February 13th. Uh, That's the date right now. We'll see. Looking forward. Thank you. Do you have any uh, habits or rituals that you, you, you do when you're writing? Hmm. Well, I always have coffee or water. So that's one thing. And I usually write by sprint. So I will start at a certain time and say, okay, I'm going to write either for 30 or 60 minutes. And I typically will do it actually with friends. We sprint together every morning. And then we can say within that time period, like, okay, I did this and that. And it's helpful because if you're just writing by yourself, 
you can kind of procrastinate. Sometimes I'll end up on Facebook and I have no idea how I got there. But if you know at the end that you have to be accountable to someone, that really does help. That's pretty much the biggest ritual I have, I think, is this, that I do it with a sprint. And taking a lonely thing and making it communicative. I, I, yeah. Kind of yeah. like your workout partner. Exactly. Exactly. That's fun. Thank and you. I did hear that you're more of a morning yes. for mornings then. Yes. I've always been a morning person. I was like the kid at the sleepover that was awake and just laying around for hours waiting for everyone else to wake up. Like, why are you guys sleeping? What's this sleeping in thing? So I, and I just feel more alive in the morning, I guess. I don't know why I'm just, it's easier for me. But like, once I get to like 11 o'clock in the morning, my brain is like, yeah, I'd rather not do anything anymore. So I usually start at like seven in the morning and then it's split up. Like I'll do like a workout or a walk with my dogs or something like that. So I'm not sitting here for four hours, but it's the best time for me. <laughs> I feel my brain is more functional in the morning yes. as well. I've got, I've got like a 30 minute window somewhere toward the end of the evening. <laughs> You know, I have some friends that are the same way. They write very late at night into the early morning hours. And I'm like, if I'm not in bed by nine o'clock, I am not going to function tomorrow. It is not good. No matter what time I go to bed, I wake up at the exact same time every day without my alarm. It's really annoying. So it's important to get into bed at the right time. (laughs) And what is one historical fun fact that you enjoy sharing with others? all of the fun facts. Um, You have so many. (laughs) Yeah. Literally like every time I hear something or learn something, I share it. My family makes fun of me. They like, I'm just, they're like, stop with the fun facts, mom. So it's pretty much anything I've learned that day. Or if they mention something, I'll be like, well, did you know that blah, blah, blah. And they, they're like, oh, please just stop. I can tell you that my youngest daughter has picked up on this and she came into my office. I have a big whiteboard on my Uh, wall over here. She came into my office last week and she wrote on it, the feudal system is neither fair nor good. And that's all. And then walked out and I was like, wow, that was like totally me. Thank you. (laughs) And I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I want to go through some rapid fire questions here real quick. So I'm going to put one minute on the timer and and see what we can, can get out of here. Do you learn by watching or doing? I'm a, I'm a big doer, but I need to see what people are doing first and then do it myself. Something you wish you had written. Well, I love the pillars of the earth. I'm not sure that I wanted to actually have been the one to write a thousand pages, but it's such a brilliant book. And I think the cool thing about that book is I've read it like five times and every time I read it, it's different because I've read it over decades and whatever your experience is in life, you connect with something different in the book. So that's just like, feels brilliant to me. Best Halloween candy. Oh, candy corn. Oh, bold choice. <laughs> um, go, go to snack. I love apples. That's a big one or cheese. Cheese and apples at the same time would be ideal, I think. <laughs> Favorite movie? Princess Bride. <laughs> and last, but we've hit the time limit here. Something you wish you had done. Oh, oh, this is an easy one. So last summer, our family went to Hawaii and we were with my parents and my dad grew up for a few years in Hawaii because his dad was in the Navy. And he was like, I want to take you guys to this cliff and we can all jump off this cliff into the water. 
And I was like, I am not doing that. So I waited at the bottom in the water while my dad jumped off this cliff. And then my husband and my kids all jumped off this cliff and they had a great time. And I just, you know, I enjoyed watching it. I have videos that I'll rewatch every once in a while because they're funny. But I look back and I'm like, man, I wish I had actually done that too, because they all like still talk about it and what a great experience it was. And it was something my dad did as a kid that he was like sharing with us, but I wussed out because jumping off a cliff seems like a bad idea and I have bad luck and (laughs) I am not coordinated. So I think I would have probably hurt myself, but at the same time, I sort of wish I had done that. I'm terrified of diving off anything. So I probably would have been with you, but it would have been really cool to watch. Right. It was cool. Like, I'm glad I got to witness it at least. (laughs) I, my parents had to bribe me to dive off the diving board growing up. And that's Mm -hmm. just like a tiny little thing. Yes. Can't even imagine how my dad was a, um, a diver in high school. Like that was like his sport. And so I did like dive off diving boards and stuff, but Mm -hmm. There's something different about a cliff and it wasn't like a straight, like, I mean, it was like jagged. You had to pick the right spot and you had to like jump out enough. I just think I would have slipped and like hit my head on the way down and then drowned. It would have not been good. You gotta, it's, what is it? Regret the things you did, not the things that you didn't do. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. We'll go with that. (laughs) And what are you currently reading slash watching? Oh, okay. So I just finished a novel called It's One of Us. It's actually a thriller by J.T. Ellison. And it was really fascinating. I did not even know that this could be a thing, but apparently, so this guy, he donated his specimen to a fertility clinic and it said in the contract that they would only use it like five to 10 times. Well, they lied. And one of those kids ended up becoming a murderer. So the cops come to him and they're like, we found your son's DNA um, at this crime scene. And he's like, I have no children. What are you talking about? And it was like something that he had done back in college. So he was not prepared. It was really a fun book. I I do recommend it. I listened to it on audio. It was uh, narrated by Julia Whalen, who's one of my favorite narrators. So it was really good. And then watching... I just started watching the last thing he told me it was a book and now it's a show on Apple TV with Jennifer Garner. It's really good. I'm only like midway through, but I'm really enjoying that. That's on my watch list. I haven't started it yet and I haven't heard the title, so I'll have to to start the book as well. The book was amazing. Yeah. This is a question we love asking because it kind of gives us an idea of, of where the future is going, but mm-hmm. we, we have a, we have a couple answers on this already, but let's see what else we can find out here. Okay. The strangest thing in your search history. Oh, hands down. It's when I was writing ribbons of Scarlet and one of my characters ends up being decapitated. And I wanted to know how long the brain remains sentient after you are decapitated. And that's probably the strangest thing you'll find in my search history. The answer is about 10 to 20 seconds in case you're wondering. (laughs) I was. (laughs) And we are a library podcast. How have libraries impacted your life? Oh my gosh, so much. I used to love going to the library as a kid and being able to check out like all the books on any subject, right? 
And as an early writer, I had little kids. So I would take them to like the kids area, they would play or they would go to like the reading time. And I would take my computer to the quiet area and I would work while they were doing things in the library. And then the awesome part about that is my older daughter is finishing up her English major right now. And she's planning on going to grad school for library science. She currently works in two libraries. She works in the rare book room of her school library at the Ohio State University. She has vault access. So she's always telling me all these cool things that she gets to see. And I've I've gotten to visit her there. And then she also works as a youth specialist librarian assistant at the county library where she goes to schools. So that's special for me is that like I got to like share my love of libraries and books with her and now she's sort of carrying on a tradition but in a different way and she'll get to share books with people which is so fun. Has there been anything that she stumbled across in the archives that might be something that you might be interested in exploring more for a story? Not yet, but she did come across this medieval poem Mm. and it was like a fairy poem and she she was sending me like lines from it because she used it as a project for one of her classes. So she was rewriting it so that you could read it in regular English instead of like old English. So there's been a lot of stuff like that, just sort of, I've been able to like nerd out with, although I did, there is one thing there that she was able to share with me that was actually from a book I was already using. So my Nancy Mitford book, the Mayfair bookshop there, Jessica Mitford, her sister, her collection is at the Ohio State University rare book room. So I got to go there and we were like reading letters and things like that together, which was super fun. That's so fun. I love it. I I love that she's got you trained to make sure you say (laughs) the Ohio State. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, so my grandfather also went there And so that's like a lifelong thing. You cannot say it without it. And everyone will let me know. (laughs) So here we are, we're we're reaching the end here. Is there anything that you'd like to to share with our listeners? I guess just if you want to follow me online, I am on Instagram as Eliza Knight Fiction, same thing with Facebook. And then I'm also on Twitter as Eliza Knight. And I have a newsletter that I send out once or twice a month that just shares news and any giveaways that I might be doing, which is always fun. And that I hope that you enjoy starring Adele Astaire and learning about Adele and this fun story of a person's life who's sort of forgotten. And thank you guys so much for having me. This has been really fun. You have great questions. We've so enjoyed having you on and I thoroughly loved learning more about Adele Astaire. So thank thank you you for putting it out in the world and allowing us to catch up on her. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Eliza Knight, for joining us on Unstacked. Starring Adela Stare will be available in the library collection for checkout. It can also be purchased through your favorite bookstore and online vendors. Check out her website, elizanight.com. That's E-L-I-Z-A-K-N-I-G-H-T.com. Stay safe and read, my friend. It's good for you. Bye. Bye.